0: Well, hello. This is Get Real with George Kaler. And I'm here today with my congressman and my dear friend, Bob Good. Do you mind if I call you Bob?
1: Please do call me Bob,
0: George. <laughs> able- you know, it's the funniest thing. You're an important congressman and
1: So many people love and respect you, but they still call you Bob. (laughs) Uh, That they do. Uh, My staff calls me Bob, and uh, my constituents are always told to call me Bob. I was Bob before November of 20, and I'll hopefully be Bob still after I'm done with Congress, whenever that might be. Your staff is a little bit different from any staff of any congressman I
0: ever visited. I went in there. One of your members there, Bonnie, George, are you in pain? I said, yes. Uh, My hands were hurt, and uh, the carpal tunnels were crushed. And so she and Sandy Adams held hands, and they prayed for me. Wow. Good for them. That's the first time I ever visited a congressional office anywhere <laughs> where the staff held hands and prayed for me. So it all started off a little
1: bit Well, different. I can't say that I'm surprised. And when we hired our staff after I was elected in November of 20 and started to serve in January 21, I didn't retain any staff, uh, sadly, from the previous uh, member of Congress who I succeeded, Uh, but I did try to hire staff that shared my values, uh, that wanted to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish in Washington, that would work with me towards true uh, conservative principles. As you know, when I had first run, I had identified as a constitutional and a biblical conservative, and um, I tried to hire staff that shared those values and, uh, again, would be supporting uh, the things that I was working towards and would want me to be successful because they cared about the same things for the country.
0: You and I have something in common, wrestling. I wrestled 106 in uh, high school. I, was, uh, I didn't grow up until I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. But then in college, the guys in, at Clarion State University, they were just powerful wrestlers, and so I gave it up. And uh, But when you're on the mat, who's out there helping you on the mat?
1: Well, I- You know from your experience in Clarion State what a great wrestling program they have, familiar with Clarion's history in wrestling in Pennsylvania generally. Uh, But I think every boy should wrestle. Uh, I don't know of a better tool uh, to shape young men from a mental and physical toughness, to to build discipline, determination, sacrifice, perseverance, uh, to build the kind of qualities that are essential to – Success in life, if you will, and to your question that you know the answer to, uh, no one's out there with you. You don't get, no, you can't tap out. You you don't get a substitute. You can't hide. Uh, you can't go to the bench and take a few plays off. Uh, everything is exposed out there on the mat, and uh, you're you have total control over at least over your effort and over your toughness and how physical you are. You know, there's another wrestler maybe more skilled. And just a better wrestler than you, but uh, your toughness is on full display for everybody to see. Those
0: qualities were on display when the Republicans were about to rubber stamp Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, and you were called a maverick for holding out. You and a couple of other guys, and you were—it was like you were on the mat, almost by yourself, holding out for a victory, and the victory was for America. Tell me. Maybe for the first time, what the uh, my listeners and viewers want to hear is, why did you hold out when everybody else was just saying, "Yeah, well, let's let's just put this guy in here," like they did Mitch McConnell? Oh, how I wish he was out of there. Mm-hmm. We had somebody better, but Kevin McCarthy is acting pretty good now. And so, what were you holding out for with him?
1: Well, when I first started my congressional run in. Uh, 2019 for the 2020 election and throughout that so, about a year and a half process and then throughout my first two years in my first term, you know, just hundreds of constituents and uh, uh, voters and prospective voters tell me, please don't support Kevin McCarthy for speaker. I only had one person during that you know, those uh, three years or so ask me to support Kevin McCarthy for speaker that wasn't an elected member of Congress or in leadership. And I reserved judgment. I said that I would wait until after the 2022 election, uh, obviously, to see whether or not we were going to have a majority, whether or not we were going to be electing a speaker. I would assess Kevin McCarthy based on his leadership demonstrated as the minority leader in my first uh, two years, whether or not we pursued true conservative policy objectives, whether or not we used every lever of power within the minority to to fight the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer agenda. And also based on who else was running or might be seeking it and what I thought was best for the country if we were to get the majority. And there just wasn't anything in my first two years that persuaded me that Kevin McCarthy was the right person based on my first two years or based on his participation in leadership over the previous 15 years or so as either majority whip or majority leader when – Every major spending bill during those years when he was a majority leader, every major spending bill was passed with a majority of Democrat votes. Can you imagine, George, if when Pelosi had the majority, that she would have ever passed a major spending bill with majority Republican votes? In other words, following the wishes of Republicans. Democrats have never done that and would never do that. But Republicans have historically done that. So what January was about was not – was trying to break up the swamp cartel, the uniparty cartel, if you will, the status quo that where we do what we've always done, hoping and wishing for a different result, and thinking that past leadership would somehow summon newfound courage and make change, transformational change, uh, that we you know needed desperately and that we have not seen before. And so that's what January was about. Uh, And thankfully, I had 19 of my colleagues who were with me on that. And there were 20 of us who battled for ultimately 15 rounds of voting. And uh, ultimately, he did prevail as speaker, but he did prevail with some conditions and some agreements to change how Congress would work. And it would give us a fighting chance uh, to try to save the country.
0: I guess he didn't sign something that said, I'm going to go along to get along. I'm almost 80 now, and I've been watching... Republicans and Democrats all my life practically. And it just seems that we Republicans think of the Democrats as competition, and they think of us as enemies mm-hmm. to be crushed and destroyed. And I don't think we really understand the nature of the beast. I mean, if you get into a onto the mat with a, another wrestler who's wearing brass knuckles, that's a tad unfair. And we have to I think we have to remove those brass knuckles or else
1: wear them ourselves or else we're going to get crushed every time. I don't think there's any question that you're correct there. Uh, we need to recognize who the enemy is and that we are in, a, in an existential threat to save the country. The Democrat Party is not the Democrat Party of our parents and our grandparents. Oh, no, they're not. This Democrat Party hates the country, hates the founders, hates the Constitution wants to transform us into an oppressive totalitarian regime, wants to make us not just a socialist but a communist type country. I believe, George, that we are living through an experience like a movie of how to destroy the country. If you wanted to destroy, set out to destroy the country two and a half years ago when Joe Biden became president, the Democrats had full control in Washington, what would you do differently than to diminish and weaken our military? Than to spend us into a fiscal situation where our credit rating is being depleted and we're going to soon not be able to service our debt anymore or borrow anymore, than to open our border to some seven million illegal invaders uh, that have come across in the last uh, two and a half years. They're even carrying flags
0: <laughs> like yes. military. Yes, absolutely.
1: Power uh, to surrender control of the border to the Mexican crime cartels, you know, to weaponize the just Department of injustice, you might say, in federal law enforcement against political opponents than to try to interfere with the integrity of our elections, then to collude with big tech to control speech and expression and information, then to you know put mandates on your citizens on whether or not they can travel or assemble or worship or go to work or operate their business, whether or not they have to take a vaccine they may not want or may not need, uh, even whether or not to disclose they've had a vaccine, to redefine gender and sex and to put confusion, to perform surgery on children to maim them forever. Um, this is the Democrat Party that we're battling against. And we have to know who the enemy is. We have to know that we're in a war for everything we hold dear. And uh, we're truly at a, at a at a crossroads decide what kind of country we're going to be. Well, you might be depressing a lot of people
0: right now because <laughs> I think a lot of folks just don't know how awful it is. And I read, I observe uh, – by the way, one of my listeners – I asked my listeners around the country. I said, what are your questions for Congressman Good while he's here? And the temperature I got was, they're not just concerned, they're terrified. Mm. And all the things you just enumerated, no wonder they're terrified. And here I am, an old guy now, and it's not about me anymore. Maybe it's not even about you, it's about our grandchildren. That's right. I don't know if you're a grandfather yet, but yes. <laughs> I'm about to leave for Dallas Airport after this interview and take my grandkids up to the airport and they're heading to my to Malaysia, uh, where they teach in a Christian school over there, in an Islamic Republic, by the way. But I'm almost happy they're there rather than here facing what Americans are facing. Getting back to the questions from my listeners, I hope you don't find any of them offensive, because these people are terrified. And there's there's a song, Holding Out for a Hero. It's a rock and roll song, but holding out for a hero. They want a hero. And They don't know if you're it or if you're not it, but that's what people want. And so one of them said that your constitutional conservatism is really appreciated. And it is. Everybody who knows anything about you. How concerned are you? And I think I just heard the answer about the financial and moral decay that is happening right now. Some of it affected my family directly, and that is the war on fossil fuels. I come from coal country, Pennsylvania. Natural gas, coal, coal it's been shut down. And what are your what are viewpoints on the How do we get back to
1: the dream our founders had? You mentioned at the, kind of the onset of that question after my remarks on the things that we should be concerned about. The hope that I would give our listeners is we still are a government of the people, by the people, for the people. We're hanging by a thread and it is at risk like never before, certainly in modern times. But I still believe there's a majority of people who do not agree with the radical leftist extreme ideology that's become the Democrat Party. Now, our challenge is not the kind of folks, honestly, that are probably listening to your broadcast or that are you know, expressing their support consistently to me as I move around the district. The challenge are those... Moderates, Those independents, those swing voters and some of the heretofore disaffected, disengaged, apathetic folks who just think maybe all the politicians are the same or the parties are the same or their vote doesn't count or politics doesn't really matter. My hope would be that their eyes are opening here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've seen it on full display until Governor Young got elected a year ago, but you had Democrats with full control and the harm they did in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But then nationally, the uh, Biden-Pelosi-Schumer regime over the last two years before Republicans were able to slow that down in the House. But my hope is that people are seeing the connection. They may not fully understand it all between the spending that's causing the massive inflation that's crushing them, uh, you know, the gas prices, grocery prices, housing prices. prices, interest rates, utility costs, those kind of things that are crushing average, that they see that's a reflection of government policy. To your point, the war on affordable, reliable energy and the subsidies of and the incentivization for unaffordable, unreliable energy, what we've done to American energy is a terrible thing. Uh, that they see, again, the open border policies, that they see the weakening of the military on the national stage, that they see that we're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine and depleting our own military strength in the debacle in Afghanistan two years ago, I think yesterday, uh, that they see the you know, the, the extreme policies, uh, the LGBT, LGBTQ uh, agenda that's never satisfied and what they've been doing with gender ideology and sexual definitions, if you will, the education extremism, trying to divide us on race, those sort of things, and nothing's going in the right direction under Joe Biden, and that uh, here in our Commonwealth, again, we see hopefully a test case uh, this November, and we see a reaction to that in the election this fall, and then we see a reaction to it nationally next year. So we do have that opportunity to save our country. You and I both know politicians don't have the answers, uh, but but politics and government can be an ally to the people, <laughs> to facilitate freedom, strengthening the family, strengthening our foundation, strengthening our economy, uh, protecting and preserving our constitutional rights, those sorts of things, uh, securing our nation from a safety and national security standpoint, you know, maintaining our position as the economic and military superpower in the world. And you and I both know to that point, uh, George, when in the history of the world, and you're more of a historian than I am, but when in the history of the world has the world's economic and military superpower used it for good, imperfectly, of course, but rather than to conquer the world. Only us. Only us. No nation in history of the world has freed more people, evangelized more people, rescued more people, uh, and and saved more people around the globe, has been a beacon of freedom around the globe, has been a beacon of evangelism around the globe, been more welcoming to more immigrants, more generous in our policy, and given more upward mobility opportunity to people of all races, all ethnicities, all nationalities than the United States of America. And what would the world be— Without the United States as that dominant power, we are seeing what it might be today, but we have a chance to save it.
0: Yeah, there's a book called America Alone. It touches on America's the last hope for freedom across the world. You touched on one of the things one of my listeners asked. He said, it's the middle class, which usually it's the supporters of the Republican candidates, of the conservatives. And in the primaries, whoever's more constitutionally bent and conservative that they vote for, and yet they're the ones who are being so severely impacted by the inflation that's That's been imposed on us. The inflation, all inflation is, is printing too much money. And now they're not even printing it. It's just digital. The Treasury, when they said, okay, we're going to do a trillion dollar thing for after covid Tom Cotton was
1: an early leader on that, and he was you know he was belittled for that when he came out early and said, "Gosh, everybody, common sense would tell you it comes from it came from the lab."
0: Well, I refused the vaccination. In fact, all my family, every member of all my family and the grandchildren, everybody refused the vaccination, and we were called bad names. Or you're not good citizens, and mm-hmm. and you don't care if other people get COVID because you're going to spread it and all that. And now we're finding out, and the military, thank God, they just stopped forcing the vaccination on healthy people. I don't know if you know this, but only three members in the military died COVID, but now they're showing up with all kinds of cardiac...
1: Myocarditis, yeah. And
0: my people in Uganda and Kenya, my doctor's there, I work down there, and they're reporting young soccer players who have been vaccinated showing up with cardiac problems. I mean, healthiest could be young men who are no longer healthy. So the, the vaccinations it's just maddening. One of the other things that's maddening to my listeners, and they're scared about the January 6th prisoners, Mm -hmm. they're in the federal gulag with no trial dates. And if we've seen the videos, we saw that hundreds of them were invited in. You saw the doors open to allow them in. And the Columbus doors, uh, do you know where that is? Of course Mm -hmm. you do. You're there in Congress. But they are closed. What do they weigh? 30 tons? They're closed. So that it would just about take a bulldozer to get through there. And yet they were purposefully opened up. And Chief of Police Sund said that he was refused the National Guard when he heard there were some provocateurs Mm -hmm. among the hundreds of thousands of people who acted peacefully, as President Trump told them, act, you know, peacefully. But now they're in prison. What can Congress do? To help, I mean, this looks like
1: a banana republic to the whole world. Indeed, it does. What and, can we do about that? And you think about the so called January 6th Commission, which was obviously a partisan witch hunt. And, you know, you, uh, for the first time, you had uh, the majority party dismiss members of the minority party from the commission, didn't allow the minority leader to select those who would sit on the on the commission from the minority party the speaker exempted herself from any oversight any investigation any accountability you know which told you from the very beginning that it was not going to be A true investigation, as you said, uh, there's information uh, that's uh, surfaced that the Speaker refused, uh, National Guard support requested, and then there's just not been true accountability, true transparency about what happened that day. Obviously, it's been misrepresented as an armed insurrection, which it was not. It was a protest gone awry. Uh, No one died at the hands of the protesters that day, Uh, despite the media misrepresenting that in many cases, as you know. And then, as you you said, here we are two and a half years later, and you have individuals who have been held... In violation of their constitutional rights, uh, their constitutional rights to not suffering cruel and unusual punishment, sub- constitutional right to a speedy trial and due process. And But but I will tell you, it's very frustrating for us in Congress because Congress can't pass a law. Let's say we could get it out of the Senate and get the president to sign it. Okay, all January six prisoners are to be freed or all January six prisoners are, uh, you know, to be treated fairly. I mean, We don't have judicial power. We don't have uh, um, executive power. Uh, What it's going to take, quite honestly, is a change in the administration, a change in the Department of Justice. Again, I think we ought to be impeaching Attorney General. Garland, we ought to be impeaching FBI Director Ray uh, because they're clearly breaking the law and they've undermined one sacred trust in our federal institutions of law enforcement and again, Department of Justice. And you could argue, George, that among all the harms that we've talked about uh, that have been done to the country by this administration that that loss of trust in the, in, in the, in the justice system and federal law enforcement, that's far-reaching. That's long-term damage. How do we get that back? I think Congress certainly has a role to play from a funding standpoint. That's that was point. one of the questions. Can you withhold funds? We absolutely can. And the, we're going to ha- and pivot from there to the spending battles that we're going to go through this fall – Uh, on the appropriations bills and all, it's going to get rough and tumble. It's going to get down and dirty. It's going to get ugly because there's a number of us who aren't going to be willing to go along with funding the government, the very government tyranny that we all complain against, Uh, that we would fund Department of Homeland Security while it facilitates the border invasion, that we would fund the FBI and the Department of Injustice, while they perpetrate upon the American people this this corrupt uh, application of justice, this two-tier justice system, and this weaponization of uh, federal law enforcement and the justice system against political opponents, uh, you know, with the pre- President Trump indictments or whatever you might be seeing, or the January Six prisoners, that we would fund the Department of Energy and the EPA with the climate environmentalism, energy anti affordable reliable energy policies uh, that are harming the country. That we would just rubber stamp that and go along, not just cut the funding on the dollars, but all, or reduce the funding on the dollars to try to take a step towards fiscal responsibility, but also how we spend that money. That we wouldn't continue to fund the policies of the last two two years under the Biden administration.
0: Speaking of powers, I saw where a hundred over a hundred million dollars of new money was just spent on military grade weaponry and ammunition for the EPA, the IRS. Department of Agriculture, I mean, why would those guys need military-grade weapons to do their jobs, which it seems we got along so well without them. I was raised on a dairy farm. There was no Department of Agriculture going on back then. We just produced milk and sold it. And uh, yet now there's more people in the Department of Agriculture than there are farmers and they're arming them and they're arming IRS agents. Can we, as you in the Congress, can you and your Republican colleagues dry up the funding, at least for the weaponry, to be used against who-know-who? I mean, what are they
1: doing? Yes, it's the agencies beyond the ones that you listed, Department of Education. Why would the IRS need to be armed? Why would ag need to be armed? Why would education need to be armed? And especially, again in light of the oppressiveness of federal law enforcement and the federal government, when we're going after pro-life protesters in Pennsylvania and putting them in jail, Mark Houck, when we're going after parents at school board meetings and arresting them, like Mr. Smith in Loudoun County, when we're targeting Catholics in Richmond just because of the practice of their faith, and why would we allow for or accept the arming of federal agencies like this, you have a healthy distrust of the federal government that is growing, unfortunately, sadly, in this country because of the actions of the Biden regime. And so, yes, we have to have the stomach and the willingness to not just cut the dollars, but also to implement righteous policy and to roll back harmful policy reflected in the, in the, in the funding, the current funding of the government under the Democrats as they've held power. We're running out of time.
0: If you've ever watched uh, the show 24 with Jack Bauer, every now and then they said, we're running out of time because you and I are running out of time right now. So I want to ask another question. The jury's still out for me a little bit on something called the Convention of States where we actually have constitutional safeguards. The founders gave us this where we can limit spending power, limiting federal judges and their tenure and so on. Do you do you support or against the Convention of States, or, or, or are you not studying enough to know whether you're for mm-hmm. it or against
1: it? that I haven't done a deep dive on it, and I have good friends who I respect on both sides of the issue. I have good friends who are constitutional scholars who have great concern about where it could lead and the potential that it, the unintended consequence, if you will, as you open mm-hmm. that box, that you know could be utilized to do things we wouldn't agree with as much as it could be utilized to do things that we would agree with. It certainly is a tall order with the number of states that we'd have to get to. I think it's thirty states. You probably know better than I do. I think it's three fifths of the states that you'd have to have. And you just start identify the blue states where it'd be really tough to get that through a blue state. So while some will say, "Hey, we're never going to change the country through the Congress. We've got to change it through convention of the states," I think it's a tough argument to make that it's more probable through the Convention of States than it is through the Congress. It's a little bit like term limits to me, George. I'm in favor of term limits. You know, i am I'm in, I've, I've been vocal about that. I'm in support of term limits because it beats what we've got. But we have the ability to limit our representatives every two years in the House, in the Senate every six years, I was the president every four years. And really, again, that responsibility falls on us. The government we have really does reflect us as a people. and it's, But it was, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, we don't have a government majority. We have a government majority who participates. And when you have in red states and red areas, they don't vote the same level of percentage-wise that the blue state folks do. Uh, and we've got good people in our churches and in our neighborhoods and our circles of influence who just don't vote for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, or, or they vote wrongly. They vote for people that are contrary to their interests, if you will. So... You know, I, I think it's up to us to take back our country. I think we can do that through the ballot box. The people that are in power, we put them in power. And you, I said, well, gosh, the t- integrity of our election has been compromised, and we, could, gosh, we could talk about that for a lot more than thirty minutes. And I agree with that, but we still put those people in power who are the ones who went along with trying to undermine the integrity of our election so they could stay in power. I mean, we as a larger collective people, we did that. Well, Joseph Stalin said, it's not
0: votes, it's ballots. Yeah. And who counts? And we saw that in 2020. And I think Mm -hmm. we saw it some in uh, 2022, the election there as well. Problems in Pennsylvania. I hear from here and there around the country a lot. And so ballots and ballot harvesting Mm -hmm. and, dead people voting. We haven't really, how are we going to get photo, voter ID, perhaps serial numbers on ballots or whatever, so that they can only be so many issued? And this vote by mail, even Jimmy Carter said it That's was right. a recipe
1: That's right. for corruption. That's right. How are we
0: going to get rid of that?
1: Yes. To your point, the bipartisan commission that, uh, I think it was James Baker and Jimmy Carter, yeah, some, 30, some 30 years ago, Identified three primary opportunities for voter fraud or for election fraud, I should say. It was not having voter ID. We're not requiring that across the country now. It was unsolicited mail ballots, and that's below the land in many states now. And it was illegals or non citizen voting. And you think about what we have today, and, and that's why what's in addition to the national security issues and the social services and education services, you know, health services, all being overtaxed with the illegal invasion of the border. But when you have Joe Biden promising amnesty and going into the 2020 election for illegals here and those who come in, when you have no ability based on Democrats during the Clinton administration to require proof of citizenship to vote – That that, that was a law that passed again 30 years ago during the Clinton years, and then you have no voter ID, and then when you have automatic voter registration in many places around the country, you know illegals are voting today in our elections. But the challenge is – and and this is the way our founders set it up. We have a 50-state solution or a 50-state problem. The founders largely gave—and the Constitution is not real detailed, and and I know you know this, as it applies to elections. And it gives—each state conducts its own elections, and and there's limited federal oversight to it. And the Democrats tried in the last Congress to try to federalize elections, which we might like. If we like the president, we like the Congress, we might like the laws that they pass. But how would you like Pelosi, Biden, and Schumer to control all elections— Across the country, so we don 't want it to be federalized, but now we would like the states to do the right thing, so it is a fifty day fifty state problem. I should say uh, now that said, I have a bill uh, that i 've sponsored that 's called One Citizen One Vote, and what it would do is to say that uh, states and locales would not be eligible for any federal funds to support their election processes if they didn't do a minimum of five things.
0: Do you have co-sponsors on uh, that?
1: Yes. It was introduced last Congress. We haven't introduced it yet, this Congress, but we're going to. But it would say that if that you must, in order to get federal funds for your elections, you must require voter ID. You must not allow unsolicited mail ballots, mass mail balloting. You must not allow ballot harvesting, handling of ballots by third parties. You must not allow drop boxes away from polling places. and that, And, and you must not allow non-citizens to vote. I think those five things would go a long way towards towards improving the integrity of our elections. At the end of the day, the Democrats they're, they're against all of these things because they do want to facilitate election cheating. There's no reason to be against voter ID unless you want to allow people who to vote uh, illegally. There's no reason why you'd want unsolicited mass mail but you know think about when you move to a new location and you get mail for people who've lived there you know, how many times back, not just the previous person, but the person before that. What about apartments, you know, where people are so transient? And so what the Dems want to do is anybody who's ever lived any place gets a a mail ballot sent to them, and then someone can take all those ballots that arrive, cast those ballots, and no one could ever prove who did that. It even happened here in Little
0: Lynchburg, which is a pretty conservative town. Well, Bob, we're out of time. I can't even tell you how much my listeners and I appreciate this visit with you. Do you have any words of hope for them before we close?
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, George. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate the work that you do every day. And you've been a longtime courageous conservative fighter and a patriot. And I, again, would just tell our folks we do hold the power. We are still a government of the people, by the people, for the people. If we will take back our country, if we will do it, if we will recognize that. Everything we hold dear, everything that we value is at stake, an existential threat in our country, and we've got to be bold and courageous advocates in our circles of influence to persuade people on the issues and how to vote, persuade people to vote and to get engaged that they must be part of taking back the country. We've got to overwhelm the other side at the polls here in Virginia in November. We've got to overwhelm at the polls uh, nationally next November and take back our country.
0: I've been with Congressman Bob Good. This session of Get Real can be seen. Share uh, shared with your friends on teawithgeorge.com. Thank you so much for visiting